Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Morning. How's everyone doing? I was standing backstage thinking what a sobering line in that song it is to say, I just want you. And I had to ask myself if I sang that, if I really meant it. Because, you know, that, that's a pretty bold statement to say, I just want you. Jesus. So I think sometimes the answer is yes for me. I'm not going to answer for you. And I think sometimes the answer is no. I don't let it be enough. I think it's good to ask ourselves if we actually believe the words we're singing. Because if we're just singing them to sing them, then we just, we shouldn't sing them. If we don't mean them. All right. Ready to do this? Okay, let's do it. So um, I tell our teaching team often, hey, guys, you preach your best messages from the things that you have walked through yourself. Because if you haven't walked through it, it's just information. And when you have walked through it, it's life experiences viewed through a biblical lens. And this, I think, was so evident the last two weeks as we had two women come up here who are on our teaching team who boldly shared very hard things that they have walked through. And Heidi and Katie, I just want to publicly thank you and tell you how proud I am of you for being willing to be vulnerable enough to come up here and talk about really hard things that we often don't talk about in church. And I want to tell you that I believe that because of your vulnerability and your obedience and your boldness to do that, people are being set free. So if you missed either of those, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to them on the podcast, church214.org, because I believe that there are some messages in both of their, their messages that Every single one of us needed to hear. Heidi brought a word on women in leadership and what it looks like to be a woman who preaches and teaches the gospel of Jesus. But that doesn't apply just to those of us who stand on this stage. That applies to any woman who is a follower of Jesus. We have all been called and ordained to be spreaders of the gospel. And then Katie got up here and told her story and Thomas's story of choosing to have an abortion but then walking through the healing and the freedom that they now have. And I also don't think that her message just applied to people who have had an abortion or who have struggled with those thoughts. I believe that her message applied to anyone who has anything in their lives that has kept them in shame and guilt instead of freedom in Jesus. And both of your messages, girls, It was really cool because they led right up to the word that I heard from the Lord for all of us today. So when I tell our team something, I have to listen and follow my own advice. And uh, when we chose the topics for this series called Mist, I love this because we're talking about things that often don't get talked about in the church. 
And you know, I've heard it said before that sometimes silence is the worst wound. And I think the church has wounded a lot of people because we've been silent on things that actually need to be talked about. Today, we're going to legalism. And I knew that I was up to bat for this because I have walked through this. Now, I figured there might be a couple of different responses when people heard that this was our topic today. I thought maybe, A, what the heck is legalism? And B, eh, this one doesn't apply to me. And to be honest, I didn't think it applied to most of you either. And I wasn't really super pumped to preach about it. Because who wants to preach a message that no one's going to walk away with anything from? No one. You want to preach a message where people are like, oh, I got kicked in the gut on that one. I mean, at least I do. Yeah. So I was all, Lord, I just really don't think that our people need this word. But who am I to tell the Lord what you all need? So, <laughs> here we go. See, the problem was, at least what I have always narrowly thought of legalism as was super religious, straight-laced people. You guys know the type, right? You're thinking of someone right now. The holy roller types. You know, you say the wrong thing and they're all like, oh. <gasps> But let me explain part of my story to you. To me, legalism was in part where you were told what to wear and how to wear it. Women had to wear skirts or dresses all the time, which is why I'm sporting my skirt today. No exceptions. If you were hiking, wear a skirt. If you were riding a bike, wear a skirt. If you were swimming, wear a contraption that doubles as a tent that's also a skirt. You're laughing, but it's true. And for many years, I was a part of this ministry group, and I want to be very clear here, okay? This group that I was involved in had so many wonderful things that came from it. This is not a bash session on that group. I met this hunk of a man, Christopher Taves, from that group. And I learned oh, so many good leadership lessons that I never would have learned had I not been a part of that. But legalism was abundant. It was what was served for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Don't forget about snacks. See, we were told what to wear down to the color of our long navy skirts and our white blouses with neck bows that couldn't be too flashy because how dare you draw attention to your neckline. Legalism to me was being called into the leader's office one time when I was 17 years old and told that my shoulder length haircut wasn't appropriate and they would prefer I had longer hair with soft curls. They would like my hair now. Maybe not the bun. <laughs> Some legalistic people would like my bun. <laughs> 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 
Legalism to me was being told that only certain music was appropriate. And I'm not talking about explicit music that was banned. I mean, if it had a backbeat, it wasn't allowed, no matter how powerful or how God-honoring the lyrics were. Legalism was being told when I was a young adult, don't ever talk about liking someone and being attracted to them. Keep that all inside. For sure, don't talk about sex. In fact, don't even think about it until your wedding night, and then you can think about it. <laughs> You're laughing, but it's so true. <sighs> Legalism was being told that Chris and I couldn't communicate at all, not by phone or email or letters. Yes, we're that old. While we were dating, the weeks that I was on ministry with this particular team and staff, even though we were nearly engaged, no communication. Legalism was being told not to drink coffee because it's addictive, and you might then become addicted to other toxic substances. Don't even mention drinking a glass of wine. That for sure is going to send you to hell. <laughs> Legalism was not buying a dirt devil vacuum. <laughs> when I was first married, because it had the word devil in it, <laughs> And I may be inviting him into my house if I did that. Now, I'm all, devil, you suck up that grime and that dirt and that hair. It's what you deserve. <laughs> Legalism was and still is my own father believing that my voice isn't supposed to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus. Legalism, to me, was people who said church had to be done a certain way or it didn't count. And for years and years and years, even after I was set free from the grasp of legalism, I thought it was just those things or things like it. And I didn't really think that most of you in here would relate to much of that. Now, let me say this. If you do. If something that I just said triggered something in your soul that feels like a dark place, like a wound, please come and talk to me afterwards. Because what I have found over the last many years of my life is that there is freedom in Jesus from all of that stuff. And maybe you don't realize that you have been in bondage with that because of something from your past or some lie that was told to you as you grew up, whether it was in church or out of church, but there is freedom in Jesus. So come and see me and talk to me, okay? See, the brand of legalism that I knew was this, reducing the broad, inclusive, and general precepts of the Bible to narrow and rigid moral code. It was adding our own set of rules to God's rules and treating our own rules as if they were divine. It's adding to or taking away from Scripture. Legalism is what the Pharisees modeled. Another name for this would be spirit of religion. Legalism causes you to miss Jesus. See, Jesus was right in front of the Pharisees for three years, and they missed him. 
They missed him so completely that they were the ones who demanded that he be killed. This was because of legalism or a spirit of religion. Legalism devalues who Jesus is and what he did for us. And the Pharisees didn't miss it for lack of hearing words. Pharisees, they were the religious church people of the day. Okay, they knew the Torah. They knew the Old Testament law better than anyone else. They were the ones who, who led church services. They didn't call them that, but that's how we can relate to them. And they were always there, snooping around on Jesus to catch him messing up. They were like those gnats. You know, you leave bananas on your table for too long, and the little fruit flies come out, and you're just like... I feel like that's what the Pharisees were like, like the little fruit flies just, just hanging around all the time. But this is what legalism does. It points fingers at everyone else, and it points out all the places that you aren't good enough. It points out all the things that you are doing wrong. And it completely misses the heartbeat of God and the purpose of Jesus. Legalism or a spirit of religion also brings confusion. Jesus and his truth, it doesn't bring confusion. It brings clarity. Listen, if you find yourself constantly being confused or feeling unclear because of someone's teaching, it's probably the spirit of religion causing the confusion. Here's a tip. Get away from it as fast as you can. Don't stay in it. Don't listen to it. Don't engage with it. Get away from it. Let me be clear. Asking questions and gaining clarity is different than confusion. Confusion leaves you not understanding what you actually believe, which can leave you lukewarm and complacent in your faith. So let's go back to those Pharisees. Remember how I said that they were always snooping around like the gnats? Listen to this. Matthew, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in Matthew. We're going to stay there for a little bit. It's also up on the screen. One Saturday, that was their Sabbath, on the day of rest, Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field of wheat. The disciples were hungry, so they plucked off some heads of grain and rubbed them in their hands to eat. But when some of the Pharisees saw what was happening, they said to him, Look, your disciples shouldn't be harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus responded, Haven't you ever read what King David and his men did when they were hungry? They entered the house of God and ate the sacred bread of God's presence, violating the law by eating bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the Torah that the priests violated the rules of the Sabbath by carrying out their duties in the temple on a Saturday, and yet they are without blame? But I say to you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. If only you could learn the meaning of these words. Listen, I want compassion more than a sacrifice. You wouldn't be condemning my innocent disciples. For the Son of Man exercises his lordship over the Sabbath. So what Jesus does here is he, he takes Old Testament law that the Pharisees believed in and they knew so well, and he uses it against their argument. 
which is awesome. He's like, okay, let me play your game. Let's go there, Pharisees. And then moving on into, um, further into Matthew 12, verse 9. Then Jesus left them and went into the synagogue where he encountered a man who had an atrophied, paralyzed hand. The fault-finding Pharisees asked Jesus, Is it permissible to perform a work of healing on the Sabbath when no one is supposed to work? They only asked him this question because they hoped to accuse him of breaking the Jewish laws. He answered them, if any of you had a lamb that fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you reach out your hand and lift it out? Isn't a man much more valuable than a lamb? So, of course, it's always proper to do miracles, even on the Sabbath. Then he turned to the man and said, hold out your hand. And he, as he stretched it out, it was restored exactly like the other. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started to scheme about how they would do away with him. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Listen, so he left by another way. One more story. Matthew 12, 22. Then a man who was brought before Jesus, who had a demon spirit that made him both blind and unable to speak. Jesus healed him instantly, and he could see and talk again. The crowds went wild with amazement as they witnessed this miracle, and they kept saying to one another, could this man be the Messiah? But when the Pharisees overheard what the people were saying about the miracle, they said, he cast out demons by the power of Satan, the prince of demons. Now, Jesus supernaturally perceived their thoughts and motives, so he confronted them. Sometimes Jesus confronted this religious, legalistic spirit, and sometimes he went the other way and avoided their foolishness. And that is exactly what we are called to do. Sometimes we have to rebuke and confront a legalistic legalistic spirit or a spirit of religion that is coming against us. And there are times when we have to step back and be quiet and go the other way and let Jesus do what he's going to do. It made me think of these words of King Solomon in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 26, and they're, they're Right next to each other, verse 4 says this, Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. And the very next verse says, Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. So which is it? It's both. Sometimes we are called to confront the spirit, and sometimes we walk the other way. But the only way that we will be able to know what to do in each situation is if we are tuning in with discernment to the direction of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, speak, and when he says, stay quiet and go the other way. This is what it means to be led by God's spirit, not by man's rules or the devil's tactics. So this was the form of legalism that I was well-versed in. This is what I had lived out for years and years and years, and many of my family as well, and this is what we'd been set free from. Putting law and rules over gospel and grace, and yet still full of truth. Just because we aren't legalistic, doesn't mean we diminish the truth. 
See, legalism isolates the law of God from the God who gave the law. There are two covenants in the Bible. This is where I get really excited because it's like Bible nerd stuff. There's the Old Covenant, which is mostly the Old Testament. And this is the covenant that God made with our fathers of our faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, when he first made that promise to Abraham all those many years ago. And then the covenant continued as, the, as God gave the Ten Commandments and he gave laws to the people of Israel as he had brought them out of slavery from Egypt. He brought them into the wilderness where they were making their way to the promised land. And it was a, a more than a million people. And you can imagine, it probably was a little crazy. And so God put some boundaries around their community and said, here are the, the steps and the rules that you need to follow so that there's some kind of order. And I want you to understand that this covenant was loving, but it was rigid. It limited access to face-to-face communication with God to a few people who had gone through all the ceremonial rituals to be cleansed before they met with God. But covenant is really just a fancier word for contract. And when Jesus came to earth and hung on the cross as a sacrifice for us, he rewrote the old contract and gave us a new contract. One that gave all of mankind access to God through Jesus, not just a select few who were set apart as worthy or who had followed all of the law. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. This is Paul talking. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. The new covenant doesn't give us an out to just live however we want. It's actually even more narrow in its call to live a holy life. Matthew 5 tells us this. Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He came to take the place of all the laws and the rituals and the rules that were required to meet with God. He says, you're familiar with the commandment. Here's where the narrowing happens. You're familiar with the commandment that the older generation was taught Do not murder or you will be judged. But I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart towards a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. You see the narrowing? He says, your ancestors have been taught, never commit adultery. However, I say to you, if you look with lust in your eyes at the body of a woman who is not your wife, you've already committed adultery in your heart. There's the narrowing. 
One more. Your ancestors have also been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy, bless the one who curses you, do something wonderful for the one who hates you. So under the new covenant, we are actually called to uphold a higher standard. The difference is because of the blood of Jesus and God's mercy on us, the punishment for our mess-ups isn't death, but unending forgiveness over and over and over again and eternal life. Legalism keeps you under rules and regulations, not grace and freedom. So that was a really long path for me to get to the word that I felt like was for us today. But this one that I'm about to talk about, this is something I'm still today walking in and learning in. And some days I get it and some days I don't. And while many of us in here may not be under the bondage of putting law over gospel, I felt the Lord say that that didn't mean there wasn't something in here for all of us today. I want you to look at Galatians 3 with me. This is being written to a New Testament church in Galatia. And Paul starts out by saying, what has happened to you Galatians to be acting so foolishly? What is up? You must have all been under some evil spell. Didn't God open your eyes to see the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion? Wasn't he revealed to you as the crucified one? So answer me this. Did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping all the Jewish laws? No, you received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. Your new life in the anointed one began with the Holy Spirit giving you a new birth. Why then would you so foolishly turn from living in the Spirit by trying to finish by your own works? Have you endured these trials and persecutions for nothing? See, the problem in that church was that they were arguing amongst themselves whether or not their works were enough and whether or not they had to uphold certain old covenant laws. Paul goes on to say, let me ask you again, what does the lavish supply, I love that, what does the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life and the miracles of God's tremendous power have to do with you keeping the religious law? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us through revelation and power of faith, not by keeping the law. But if you choose to live in bondage under the legalistic rule of religion, you live under the law's curse. For it is clearly written, utterly cursed is everyone who fails to practice every detail and requirement that is written in this law. For the scriptures reveal, and it is obvious, that no one achieves the righteousness of God by attempting to keep the law, for it is written, those who have been made holy will live by faith. But keeping the law does not require faith, but self-effort, old covenant. And you had to keep every single part of it. If 
you practice the principles of the law, you must follow all of them. Every single one of them, which means no mess-ups, which means you couldn't do it, which means I couldn't do it. Yet, Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the old law. He absorbed it completely as he became the curse in our place. Now we're going to skip over to Hebrews 3 and 4. Those same people, the Israelites, who were delivered from bondage and brought out of Egypt by Moses were the ones who heard and still rebelled. They grieved God for 40 years by sinning in their unbelief until they dropped dead in the desert. So God swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest all because they had disobeyed him. It is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they'd wrapped their hearts in unbelief. Now, God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of the promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. Let me break this down for you a little bit. That root word there, rest. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. That root word is katapau, and this is what it means. To be at rest, to still, to cause striving to desist, and to settle down. Here's what I heard the Lord show me for all of us. Our constant striving is a form of legalism. Our belief system that we can somehow earn God's love through our own actions or abilities or attitudes or service is bondage and legalism. This continual idea that what we do as Christians for Jesus is the most important thing is legalism. Or how about this thought? I could never live up to that person. I don't have those gifts. I could never do what they're doing or be like them, so therefore I'm less in God's eyes. And with each of these mindsets, we minimize the gospel. We change the actual narrative of the reason that Jesus went to the cross for us, and we miss the experience of the fullness of life and the freedom that God has for all of us to walk in. Moving down in Hebrews a little bit, verse 10, it says, As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works, just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. So then we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life 
so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. Let me give you a tiny example from my life. Last week, a couple weeks ago, normally in the morning I get up before my kids get up and I go downstairs and I have some quiet time and I read my Bible and I have time with the Lord. And a few Saturday mornings ago, I woke up early and everyone was still sleeping and I had this thought, oh, I should go downstairs and I should make a cup of coffee and I should watch some TV. And as soon as that thought came into my mind, I heard this other thought that said, hmm, you better go read your Bible first. If you don't go read your Bible, God's not going to be happy with you. God's going to think that you uh, value other things more than you value him. And I thought about that for a few minutes, and then I realized, wow, that's bondage. That's absolutely bondage, because me going down and sitting and reading my Bible does not give me grace or freedom that has already been completed for me on the cross by Jesus. And I think there are many of those kinds of things in all of our lives that we could point to. That was just my small, silly little example. But I promise you, there are things that you have thought, well, I can't do that because you don't know what I've done. Or I miss church. So black check. Or I yelled at my kids. So God's probably angry with me. I don't measure up to that mom. I don't measure up to that man of God. And we're devaluing the work of Jesus for all of us. See, you can't earn God's love. You can't earn God's gift of eternal life. You can't earn freedom. It's already yours. And you can't ever see the miraculous happen in your life if you don't believe it's yours to see. It's already yours yours. And it's time that we stop thinking that our spiritual disciplines define our faith. Let me be real clear. Read your Bible. It is so life-giving and fulfilling. And if you don't know what God's promises are, how are you ever going to know when they happen? But we have to stop defining our faith by the things we do for God. It's time that we stop, listen, trying to be a better Christian and just be a follower of Jesus. When people say, I'm trying to be better, I'm trying, you're trying. You're not letting God do the work in your heart because you can't do it. He already did it for you. It's time we stop thinking that what we do for Jesus has any effect on our salvation and any effect on the freedom that he has already given us. It's time to stop thinking that we can manipulate God and earn his love. If, if legalism is manipulating scripture to fit our own theology and we find ourselves living lives full of fear, full of worry, constant complaining and whining, full of constant doubt, and we live beaten down lives and see ourselves as not good enough, we're questioning whether God can still do miracles in our lives, 
We're wondering if, we've, if we're going to be good enough to make God happy with us. We're wondering if God is mad at us. Then we might be caught up in legalism. See, God's desire for us, the reason he sent Jesus, was so that we could live this life full of wonder, full of miraculous moments, not wearing ourselves out with constant striving, wondering if we're doing enough, wondering if we'll ever be good enough. It's time that we stop devaluing the completion of Jesus' death on the cross and walk fully in the freedom that it brings. And this is what I heard the Lord say. Stop striving and enter my rest. Be still. Let me do my thing. And this is where you'll find yourself fully walking in freedom as he intended for you to live. This is where you see miraculous in your life. This is where the things of God all of a sudden explode in front of your life and you're filled with wonder and awe. As we close, 2 Corinthians 3 says this. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God, period, end of sentence. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. It's not being led any longer by rigid laws, but by the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear his face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Listen, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? And this is the part I want you to get. So this new way, this new covenant, this resting gives us such confidence we can be very bold. See, church, we are called to live bold lives miraculous lives, free lives, fully resting in the fact that he will fulfill all of his promises to us. And he has miraculous wonders to show us. And we can truly walk in freedom, not because of anything that we can do on our own, but because the price has already been paid with the blood of Jesus. It is done, finished, final, and we can rest in that. John 8, 36 says this, so if the Son has set you free, stand up on your feet, if the Son has set you free, you are truly free. It is time to stop striving. It is time to stop thinking that what we do for God is the most important thing. It is time to truly be at rest and watch God do wonders in our lives.
Would you close your eyes for a moment? I just really felt like the Holy Spirit said there were some people in here who needed to respond to this message because that's what they feel like their life is, this continual striving, this continual feeling as if they are not good enough, if God is not happy with them, and they're, and they're trying to just, like, you, you feel like you're on a treadmill just constantly running, 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 trying to earn God's favor. And you haven't experienced freedom in your life because of this striving, because of this constant running. And God wants to set you free from that today. He wants to say, son or daughter, I have created you with a purpose and I sent my son Jesus to bear the burden of your shame and your guilt and your sin and all of your striving and you can lay it down. You can cease to strive and be at rest. Be at rest. And that's where you'll find your freedom. Jesus, would you just continue to speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit? God, would you cause us to let this message sink into our souls? Our mind, will, and our emotions. Lord, would you do a work in our hearts, God, that only you can do? For someone in here right now, this is your moment. This is your moment to stretch out your hands and to respond to the Lord and say, I lay it down. I lay it down. No more striving. No more trying to measure up. No more trying to be that person or this person. But I will be who you have created me to be, and I will rest in confident faith, and I will be bold, and you will show me wonderful things. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.